unexpected moment for this church. Um, and it is so important that I decided to build a lesson around it. And you will see as I, as I unpack this, um, you won't know what it's going to be about until the end. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you excited to be in suspense? It's about a Greek word to start off with. This is the Greek word, and it's lipo. In its various forms, uh, in the Greek language, it means to leave behind, to forsake, to lag, to lack, to be destitute of. That's what it means. It appears six times in the New Testament, and I'm going to look at all six of those verses uh, this morning and pull out some things that I th hopefully that we can apply in our lives. But you will pick up one thing as we go on about this. One fundamental truth emerges when this word comes to the surface. Is that when you lag in something, you end up lacking in something. In other words, if you, if you neglect your responsibilities, if you, like, if you procrastinate, if you're lazy, you end up paying for it at the end of the day. I think that's a principle that is true about life. It's, it's, it's true in our lives. For examples, if you lag in brushing your teeth, you end up lacking white teeth or lacking clean breath. Or as Solomon describes his bride in Song of Songs, he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Not one of them are missing. If you lag in brushing your teeth, you might end up lacking some teeth eventually you get the point um if we talk about work going to work if you if you lag in doing your job you will eventually lack an income you will lack money right the same thing can be said of our spiritual lives if you lag in listening to the word of god hearing what god has got to say doing things like today i honor you for being here today um you've taken time out to listen to god's word now if you lag in listening to god's word lag in making it a priority you will eventually lack in faith because paul says um, faith comes from hearing the word of god does that make sense everybody got it okay so if you lag in something you can end up lacking in something else if you don't want to lack in anything you need to make sure that you don't lag in anything and there's a, another scripture that we could use to, that sort of says the same thing in a more positive way um, you reap what you so, right? And so if you sow laziness, you're going to reap, you know, nothing, probably. Um, I think sometimes when we lag in certain things, and you can say, you know, this morning, you know that you procrastinate in certain things, like I do as well. It's like you, you just don't get up and do it. Um, you know what's the reason for that? Usually I would say, based on the text we're going to look at today, um, one of the, the answers is, is because... We are lazy, as simple as it is. We're just lazy, or we don't love. And I'll explain the love part in, in a moment's time. So laziness leads to lagging, which leads to lacking. Quick question, are you a lazy person? Ask yourself that this morning. Here's, here's some texts for us to look at. Uh, this is Proverbs 13, verse 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Another one, Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Work hard, you can get stuff done, and you'll receive a harvest for that. Proverbs 18, verse 9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. 
And so being slack in your work never produces uh, quality. The cravings of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 21 verse 5. Another one. Sluggards do not plow in season. So at harvest time they look but find nothing. They didn't plan. They were lacking. Uh, they were lagging, and therefore, at the end, they got some lack. This is one of my favorite verses about laziness. I actually quoted this to a young man the other day. He was supposed to meet me at 10.30, and he only woke up at 11. I quoted it to him this verse. I went past the field of a sluggard. Isn't that an... Has anybody ever told you, hey, you sluggard? Isn't that a great word? I should say. But past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. A sluggard is somebody who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. And the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. Here's the words. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity like an armed man. Now, I know that these texts refer to physical life, but I believe the principles are true in regard to our spiritual lives as well. The major culprit in us not achieving our goals, not making a success of our lives, is simply this. Most of the time, it's just laziness. So I read up a little bit on this and asked the question, why are people lazy? Wikipedia says the following. Wikipedia used to be pretty useless, but I've seen over the years, they've sort of really tried to present the truth in there. Uh, Wikipedia says it's, laziness is due to a lack of self-esteem, a lack of positive recognition by others, a lack of discipline stemming from low self-confidence, or a lack of interest in the activity or belief in its efficacy. Um, I don't really agree with the first few points. I really think most of the time it's about the last point. You're just not interested in it. You're not really interested in it. Because I've seen in my life, if somebody's really interested in something, they really try to make it work. They put the, their muscles into it. A Harvard professor said the following. He says, laziness is, an, is natural and normal. It's natural and normal to be physically lazy. I love that. It makes me feel a little bit more at ease. I don't know how that makes you feel. It's like normal to feel useless and, and, and lazy. Now, when I put that all together, I think there's truth in both of these statements. I would like to say the following, that a productive person is a lazy person who has decided to fight his laziness to achieve something that he knows is worthwhile to get. So we put all of that together. Yes, it's natural for us to feel lazy. Who, I mean, who really wants to get up in the morning at 4 o'clock to go work? It's, it's hard work. The, the disciples who walked with Jesus were lazy. He's in the garden. He's about to die. He's sweating drops of blood. What are they doing? They're lying on rocks, sleeping. Lazy. The disciples of Jesus were lazy. It's natural and normal for us to be lazy. But the productive person fights against his laziness. And he says it's worthwhile. Like it's worthwhile waking up, for example, it's worthwhile waking up this morning and going to church and listening to what God has got to say. It's worthwhile. And here's the thing, here's the thing. It might have been hard this morning to wake up, but something that is said today might produce a harvest in your life. That might increase your faith and that might have benefits that's indescribable. Whereas there's some people that's not here this morning, they're missing out on that. 
they will not have that injection into their lives to um i'm just using that as as an example so the question this morning really is what do you really want what do i really want because if i really want something i'll fight my laziness to achieve that most of the time we are spiritually bankrupt because we don't really have this desire to be spiritually mature we don't really want it most of the time we don't have intellectual capacity to do life well because we simply don't care we don't care because if you don't care obviously you're going to be lazy about it but take note all lagging leads to lacking now with all of that said let's look at these six texts so what we're going to do is i'm going to give you three points refer to three sections of text um, that speak about this and then i'm going to conclude with the final text which is going to be relayed with the announcement for today here's the first point if you lag in generosity you will lack heavenly treasure if you lag in generosity you will lack heavenly treasure remember the greek word we're looking at is what it is lipo and we're looking at the six verses where this word occurs the six times this verse occurs well it's found in the book of luke chapter 18 verse 22 when jesus is talking to the rich young ruler the rich young ruler came to jesus and said what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus said to him well you know the commandments and he says what he says well i've kept these commandments since i was young and then jesus responds with this verse when jesus heard this he said to him you still lack one thing lipo there's one thing short in your life sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have what treasure in heaven and once you've done that come then and follow me so this guy kept the mosaic law he was pretty good at it but he neglected the royal law what's the royal law love your neighbor as yourself if he really loved his neighbor as himself it would be no big deal for him to sell his extra mercedes-benz and feed the poor in his community but he didn't love his neighbor as himself and so he fell short in the royal law now in the eyes of the world what do you think the world thought about this guy they, they looked at him and said well you're a successful man look at your wealth in the eyes of the pharisees and the sadducees and the jews what did they see in this guy what did they think about him they thought well this guy is definitely a righteous man he's a pretty he's pretty he's loaded up in money he's loaded up in righteousness but in the eyes of heaven in the eyes of heaven he was lacking he was bankrupt and he was a poor man because heaven looks at the account that you have in heaven and so yet he really didn't have a treasure in heaven why didn't he have a treasure in heaven because he was lacking in generosity he loved his wealth on earth more than in heaven he loved his money more than people he was filled i think in to a large extent with greed because he was only being generous to whom himself now there are two more texts that seems to carry the same this that has the same word in it and and refers to the same concepts and it's interesting that when you read the new testament you know when we the church collects money in the first century the church did collect money and i complained i think it was last week i can't even remember what i preached about last week but i think it was that 
about this, this church that was asking for money, right? From random strangers in a stadium at a egg, uh, Easter egg thing. And that was like interesting for me because I asked the question, what are you going to do with that money? What are you, you going to pay for that? Is, that? is that marketing money or what's that for? Now, when we go to the first century church, the first century church did collect money. So we can't remove the idea of the church collecting money. It's true. The question is, what did the first century church use the money for? When Paul collected the money from all over um, Macedonia, from, from Corinth, where did the money go to? What was it used for? Was it used for the Facebook account, for the marketing of the church, for the printing of pamphlets, for um, air conditioning? What was the money used for? The money was used primarily for two things. To feed the poor and to support the evangelists and missionaries, the apostles, as they went into the world to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And so, yes, that's why we need to collect money so that the kingdom of God can go forward and that God's people cannot, um, shouldn't struggle. Now, it's interesting that this word lipo appears in two verses more, one in Titus and one in James, where these two concepts come, come to the surface. These two forms of giving come to the surface. The first is Titus chapter 3 verse 13. As soon as I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Lipo. That they lack nothing they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Giving to missionaries of Christ in making sure they are not lacking anything. That is an investment into the eternal treasury with your name written on it. Here we see an example. The word occurs again in James chapter 2 verse 15. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and lacking daily food. Lipo, there the word is again. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? When I take money that I've earned through work or through whatever I've done, if I take that money and I give to the poor, I am banking in my eternal treasure in heaven. We see both these instances here. So let's pause for a moment. What does your heavenly treasure look like? Be personal. Yours. As you've lived your life, think about it for a moment. How much money have you made? Some of you are going, five bucks. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh my goodness, this is a difficult question. I've made a lot of money. Let me ask you this. How much of that money have you given to advance the gospel? And how much of that have you given towards the poor? That will give you an indication of how much treasure you have in heaven. Because if you lag in those two areas of your giving, you end up lacking in your treasure in heaven. How generous are you? Now we could give, we say generally you give in three ways. The three T's. Time, treasure, talent. Right? Time, treasure, talent. You can give of your time. You can give your talent. But what we do sometimes is we do this. Well, I don't have to give treasure because I give time. Let's go back to this text, Luke 18, 22. What is it talking about? Is it talking about treasure? 
time or talent. He's talking specifically there about treasure. The text talks specifically about money, dollars if you would. Why, ladies and gentlemen? Because the poor, they need your talents and time. It's great to go sit with them, go sit next to a poor person and say, how are you feeling today, bud? I'm right here with you. I'm giving you some of my time. And all that guy needs right now is a burger. Hey, but I'm giving you my time. He actually needs the dollar in your pocket to eat. You remember this statement. They say that love is more important than money. But have you, have you ever tried to pay your bills with a hug? It's talking about money. Treasure. When Paul thanked the Philippian church for being generous towards him, he said to them something interesting. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul talks about an account. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17. Both Paul and Jesus seems to believe that there is some heavenly bank account that receives a deposit every time we make a physical money dollar currency payment into the kingdom of God. Both of them see the same thing. Specifically directed towards the poor and towards the mission of Christ. So, it is the safest investment that you can make. People are scared in this world. They're scared like, what's going to happen to the dollar? You want, you want your money to be safe. That's a great investment. It's a great investment. You invest it in heavenly currency. I, I, you know what I really like about this church? I've been to a number of churches, served in a number of churches. And it's actually very awkward when, when you have the Lord's Supper. It's like you come and eat and then you have to pay for the meal. You know, like when you go to a restaurant, you eat, have Lord's Supper, and then they send the bags around and ask for money, right? That's all the churches I've been a part of. And it's always awkward because sometimes you forget to draw money. And then the guy sits next to you and you're wondering, what's this guy thinking? You didn't put money in. And, and the guy's with the bag and you, you let him walk past with the bag. It just feels awkward. It's like, it's, like, it's, it's like the same as going to buy coffee at Dutch Bros. And, you know, the, the, the lady gives you um, the card machine and you put in your credit card and you've got to give a tip. And you didn't, you, I mean, you've got, you're down to your last two cents and you, you really cannot give a tip. And you don't want to give a small tip because then the person's going to look at you like, Oh, you, you, don't, you don't care about me or uh, you don't care about my tip. And, and it feels so awkward sitting in the car, taking the coffee, and you didn't give a tip. It almost feels the same sometimes in the church. I don't know if I'm the only guy that feels like that. You budgeted on a $5 coffee, but now it's 8 bucks. You know what I mean? The beautiful thing about this church is that there's a box at the back that you can go put your money in there if you want to. And it's between you and God. Nobody has to see nothing. That's incredible. That's great. Only God knows what you put in there. And what you put in there directly banks into your eternal treasure in heaven. I like that. That's really cool. Two quotes. No one has ever become poor by giving. That's a fact. People become poor by spending, but not by giving. Secondly, there are two kinds of people in this world, givers and takers. The takers may eat better, but the givers sleep better. 
So there you have your first point for this morning. If you lack, if you lag in generosity, you will lack in heavenly treasure. Second point, if you lag in perseverance, you will lack maturity. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Lipo is the word. James is saying that perseverance has a job, and its job is to mature us, to make us more mature. So if you want to be more mature, you have to learn to stand up straight in bad times and endure suffering. The Greek word for perseverance is hupomone. Hupomone means you, that you bear up under pressure that's coming from the top. It's like doing squats at the gym. I don't know if any of you have ever gym, but if you go do weights, what, what, what is the most despising part of your body to gym is legs. Leg day is the worst. That's why you'll see most bodybuilders have chicken legs. They don't want to do their legs. They want to do biceps. It's really hard to do squats, but it's very, this, very much the same idea. You've got this weight on your shoulder, and you go down, and you push back up. That is hupomone. The weight is trying to push you down, but you push back up. You're going through a difficult time. It tries to push you down, but you push back up. That's what makes your legs strong. That's what makes your spirit strong when you, when you remain standing and pushing back up when you go through a difficult time. It's uncomfortable, but it's good. Another translation often is long-suffering. You suffer for a long time. Now, here's six big signs of a spiritually immature person. You might be wondering this morning, am I a spiritually mature person? Here's some six things for you to think about. You quickly get angry, and you easily fall into arguments. One of the ways. You find it difficult to forgive people. You might be sitting here this morning. Let me ask a question. Is there somebody who's struggling to forgive? It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. You find it difficult to accept criticism or even gentle correction. You cannot handle it when somebody tries to correct you. It doesn't matter how nicely they speak to you. Fourthly, you don't care for the poor, marginalized and outsiders. You don't speak the truth to people. You put on a fake smile. Lastly, you're always thinking about yourself. Usually we get angry because we're feeling that we're being treated unjustly. unjustly. Persevere when you're being treated unfairly. Persevere. It's going to make you mature. Sometimes we find it difficult to forgive people because we cannot handle the fact that they've hurt us. That's a pressure that's on your shoulders. Persevere the fact. That you've been treated unfairly. That somebody has hurt you. Persevere under that. And forgive. That's what develops perseverance. You don't like it when people correct you. Because it feels uncomfortable. Persevere. That discomfort. Of people correcting you. And I can go on and on and on. A man is not finished when he's defeated. He's finished when he quits. In the confrontation between the stream and the rock, the stream always wins, not through strength, but by perseverance. Ladies and gentlemen, be happy when you want to get extremely and quickly angry. Be happy that you want to get angry. 
quickly. Be happy when you are on the verge of falling into an argument with someone and your blood is boiling. That's what James is saying. He says, be happy when someone is doing something unforgivable against you. Be happy when you are forced to care more about others than yourself. Be happy when you are forced to speak the truth in confrontation to others. Be happy that you are under pressure. Be happy that there is a huge weight on you. Be happy because it is an opportunity to grow, to mature, and remove whatever is lacking in your spiritual life. It is an opportunity to pass the test, to stretch yourself to the next level. And when you persevere and end up on the other side, you will be more mature. Let me repeat the point. If you lag in perseverance, you will lack in maturity. Often the reason why we don't mature, <laughs> why we lack in our maturity is because we give up quickly. We give in to the anger. We give in to the unforgiveness. So we never become the people that God wants us to be. And lastly and thirdly, if you lag in prayer, you will lack in wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks lipo, wisdom, you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but I ask myself this question pretty frequently. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why am I so stupid? I don't understand stuff. I don't know stuff. I break stuff. Have you ever thought like, why don't I understand this? People talk about this as if it's normal and understandable. I've got no idea. My brain cannot wrap around it. I cannot make sense of my life. I cannot make sense of myself. Never mind even trying to make sense of God. When I look back at my life, the road that my life has taken, it looks like a stupid person has been driving the car. The word that James uses here for wisdom is Sophia. If, you're, if you have a name that's Sophia, Sophie, it means wisdom. Um, the Thayer's Greek definition of that word is the following. It means to be full of intelligence and knowledge of every matter. It's the varied knowledge of things human and divine acquired by acuteness and experience and summoned up in, summed up in maxims and proverbs. Now, I've specifically chosen to just copy and paste this for us to look on the screen so that we can feel stupid, right? Because these are big words. The science and learning, the act of interpreting dreams and always giving the sagest advice. The intelligence evinced in discovering the meaning of some mysterious number or vision. Um, skill in the management of affairs. Devout and proper prudence in intercourse with men not disciples of Christ. Skill and discretion in imparting Christian truth. The knowledge and practice of the requisites for godly and upright living. That's what the word Sophia really means. You are clever, you understand life, you know how to manage life, you know how to do life. You are pretty well equipped to handle people. 
you're good at evangelism, you're good at management, you've got, it's, and you think about things as if um, you, you've been there, even though you haven't been there, you don't have the experience of it, but you've got the wisdom, the skill to explain it. And people come to you for advice. That's in a nutshell what wisdom is. What if I told you today that if you feel inadequate in any of these areas, the potential problem is your prayer life. Like that you can have this. You can be all of this just by praying about it. Like you don't have to be born with an IQ of 200. You don't need that. All you need is a simple prayer. Now you might say, well, Michiel, no, you're ridiculous. Only clever people can do this. That's not what the text says. The text says, Sophia, wisdom. Let's go back. We can ask God for this. So if you lack an understanding, your life is a mess, you can actually just go to God and ask Him for it. If you look back at your life and it's a mess, it looked like some drunkard has driven the, the, taken the steering wheel of your life, you can just go to God and say, Lord, I, I want to be a different guy. I'm going to drive my car from here forward a little bit differently. Just a prayer. Honestly, have you ever gone in your room, closed the door, gone down on your knees and just said, Hey, Lord, I've come to just ask you for wisdom. That's it. Just wisdom. In the Greek, James says that if you ask God for wisdom, He will give it to you liberally. He will pass it along if you ask for it. The reason why we are deficient and lacking in wisdom, why we make dumb decisions, why we don't understand life, ourselves, God, our spouses, okay, you might never get that, but the reason why we struggle with this is because we hardly ever pray about this. The reason why we ha handle money terribly is because we don't pray about these things. We don't ask God for wisdom. We pray. Some of us never pray. Let's be honest. Let's be real. When else did you pray? like we, we, we hardly ever pray and then we don't understand why our lives are a mess. And I include myself here. I don't pray like I should. Sometimes we do pray and, and that's just um, at mealtime. And we say the same rhyme that was carried over from our grandfather's grandfather's grandfather that we just learned from our dads. And that's the only rhyme that we know. Some of us, we do pray, but we we just pray for our needs. We pray for stuff. We pray for money. We pray for the broken car. And some of us actually pray for others. That's incredible. But how many of us take time to ask God for wisdom? Ask for the mundane and God will give you the mundane. If you belong to him and you ask for help with a car, he will help you with a car. But he wants to give you so much more. Ask for food and God will give you food. Ask for wisdom and God will give you wisdom. Let's pray about this. Please pray with me. Father, we need wisdom. In a world where many people act foolishly and very few people actually go to you on their knees and ask for wisdom, we want to be a people that carry the wisdom that comes from heaven. I pray to Father that you would give every person in this place wisdom the wisdom that james speaks about sophia give it to us father 
Give it to us liberally. You know what every person is thinking right now. And you know who those people are that really want this. That really want this type of wisdom. People who might feel that they are lacking in it. I beg of you. In the name of your son Jesus Christ. That you would bestow it upon us. Those who really want it father. That it can change our lives. That we can live successful lives. And productive lives. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. So we have our three points finished. We've looked at every verse of those six times that this word appears. It's time to get to the great announcement. Here's the last verse where that word appears. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul is writing to the evangelist, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. What was lacking, lipo, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul seems to have done some evangelism on this island, which is called Crete. He left Titus there. Titus seems to have been an evangelist, a partner in the mission. Paul now writes this letter to him from a different place, and he tells him the reason why he left him there was to appoint elders in every town. They estimate they were about 90 towns. And he says, essentially, one thing that we can pick up in this text is that the church without elders is lacking. That's not what I say. That's what the text says. We can go back and read the verse again. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, lacking, lipo, and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Due to various circumstances, this church, Highway 20 Church of Christ, has been lagging to appoint elders. Previous evangelists, for their own personal reasons, could not confidently bring themselves to this point. And that's fine. No critique on them. I personally take the books of Titus, 1 and 2 Timothy, as my job description. Therefore, it has been... One of my greatest missions since I have arrived here in July last year to put in order what is lacking according to the Holy Spirit and to lead the process of appointing elders in this church. The two gentlemen that I together with Raleigh and, and Charlie would like to put forward today as potential elders is Wes and Doug. If you don't know who they are, don't worry, you will know soon. I believe in many ways they are already doing some of the work of elders. They have studied the qualifications of elders vigorously with um, Mike Mallohan a few years ago. Um, they are long-standing servants in this church. Both of them have had parental figures that have been elders in this church. Doug's dad, Raleigh, has been an elder in this church. And they've learned, he's learned from him. I know Wes's grandfather was an elder in this church many years ago, and so they know what it is about. I want to quote to you Acts 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul is speaking there to the elders of Ephesus, and what I want you to see there is the Holy Spirit appoints elders. The Holy Spirit appoints overseers. And so it's not my decision to appoint elders or it's not my decision to point out necessarily who they are um, 
It's not a single person's responsibility. These men have been involved over time with the church. And they have been found to have a love for the church and for God's things. The Holy Spirit has worked in them. The Spirit has worked through them. Their own lives qualify them. The work of the Holy Spirit in their lives qualify them. We identify them as servants of God, as products of the Holy Spirit. And I honor these two men. Because they fulfill the first and the greatest qualification to be an elder. Who would like to guess what that is? Big muscles. Joking. They desire to be elders. They want to be elders. They want to be shepherds. And Paul says that if you desire, it, it's a noble task. It's noble. It's honorable. So I honor these men. Because most men, they don't care. They don't want to do this. They don't want to serve in this capacity. Because it's very challenging. And God will hold you accountable as a shepherd. But you have tremendous blessings being a shepherd. But getting back to the appointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the appointing. Well, how does he do that? Well, elders really are appointed by Scripture because the Scripture gives us qualifications. If they don't meet the qualifications that the Holy Spirit gives, they can't be elders. And so I need your help in that, in that regard. The church is not a democracy. So we don't vote who's elders and who's not. Um, so we don't vote these guys in. But we participate in the process. How does this work? Well, today we put forward these two men. And I want to give you three weeks to come to me privately and provide to me any biblical reason why they cannot be elders. You can go read Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you find these two men that we suggest today to be elders are disqualified according to the verses in there, and you can provide the evidence, then they cannot be elders. The Holy Spirit disqualifies them. Um, please come. You've got three weeks to come and see me privately and, and we can talk about that. But take note, it has to be based on what the scripture says. If after three weeks there's nothing, no reason for them not to be elders, then on the 7th of May, I'll make the announcement that it seems indeed like it's time for God to give this church elders. And then we'll be very happy. After that date, we will probably work towards doing the official appointment on the 11th of June. And in that process, from the 7th of May to the 11th of June, I'll maybe do some lessons on it just to make sure that we understand what this is about and what the benefits are of having elders. Um, if God made this office available in His church, then surely there's some good reasons for that. This is a joyful moment for us as a church. And I think, it's, I think it's time, and I want to ask you to please pray for these men. Pray for this church, um, for the life of this church, as we're trying to make sure that we are a church that God is proud of. I hope that there's been some thoughts, not just this announcement at the end, that has been valuable to you. And, and um, yeah, why don't we stand as we sing the closing song, brother? <laughs>